This is Beth Butler, and thank you for listening to From the Ground Up, where we chat with people in and around the real estate industry. I have been in the real estate business for 35 years, and much of my experience has been about building the business from the ground up. And I'm pleased to share some of the people who I've met along the way and who have helped me build in this podcast. Okay, I'll start at the top by just saying, um, sharing with everybody, we will be recording today. You see Sohail Fazludin in that first role up there. Sohail is the producer of my podcast, which is called From the Ground Up. And we've recorded one or two other episodes on Clubhouse as well. And he'll be recording. So we'll be recording this um, chat tonight. It will be up on the podcast as soon as we can get it up. So thank you. But I did want to say it's recording. So if you are called up on the stage to ask a question, please be clear. Identify yourself because this will be audio only, um, even on the podcast so make sure everybody knows who you are and ask your question. I guess with that, Janie, you ready to jump right in? I am, and I'm just going to apologize right now. You're going to hear this squeaking. My dog is next to me with his favorite squeak toy, and it's a playtime for him. <laughs> I love that about Clubhouse. You always get this, the interesting, the kids, the animals, the traffic, the sirens in the background. It's great. We all... we. Thanks for joining us, Janie. Uh, for those of you that don't know Janie, she is a top producing real estate agent in Northeast Florida, and she specialized in selling historic homes for at least the last 15 years that I, that I know of. And we share this love and are trying to cultivate this interest inside Clubhouse because it is a specialty of real estate that really doesn't get a lot of attention um, from people. But if you love houses, you love storytelling, historic homes are really the place for you guys to think about concentrating your business on. So with that, I'm just going to jump right in and start asking Janie some questions. Janie, you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's like right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Janie's got, got her own squeaky clown horn going. Okay. So Janie, let's just start with the real basics. What makes a property historic? Um, okay, so I'm in Florida, and so it's going to vary, I think, by location. Um, the, his, the National Trust for Historic Preservation generally says homes uh, 50 years and older, um, and a lot of places use that 50 years and older, but it is now 2020. So I personally have a hard time saying a home from 1970 is historic. It might be cool if it's from the 1960s, but I, I don't call it historic. So in Florida, I generally um, use 1930s and earlier as historic because there is a marked change from homes built in the 1800s, the 1910s, the 1920s from things that were then built in the 1930s, 40s, and onward. Um, certainly, if you are from um, New England, you're going to have a whole different host of ages. Um, even though I sell in St. Augustine, which is the oldest city in the United States, we have very few homes. I just sold a home from the 1700s, but in St. Augustine, we have very few, whereas up in Boston and places like that, they have plenty of homes from the 1700s. So it's going to depend on your area, but I think we can generally say uh, 1930s and earlier. 
Okay. Uh, what, what, so this whole mid-century modern movement, the 50s now, I guess that could technically be considered historic yep. homes. Yeah, I never thought now. about Absolutely. that. I think it more of an architectural base. So, so in order for it be historic, besides being old, does it have to be registered? Does it vary from you know place to place and locality to locality? So, what what does it take besides being old to co consider your house historic, or it really doesn't matter for purposes of selling it? Um, that's a really great question, and there's a lot of moving parts. So, there's a, a let's stop at the, the highest level of um, listing status. If some, if an individual property is listed with the National Trust for Historic Preservation, um, that's kind of the highest level of certification um, because it has to fall into a lot of categories to have that. It can also be in a historic district. So I um, live and serve quite a few historic districts that are both on the National Trust as an entire historic district and um, governed by my local government, so my county government. Um, it, it, and you can have a house that doesn't fit any of those criteria. It's just, you know, an older home. Normally, first of all, any home older than 50 years could be considered historic. Um, like you said, mid-century modern and uh, those cool houses. Um, it doesn't have to be listed. It doesn't have to be registered. But there are different levels of registration and certification that are both national trust level, state level, and county level. And then depending on where you're looking, your county might have specific um, building kind of guidelines and things that you need to, to adhere to for that house. So it takes a lot of looking and that does not relate by the way, with the national trust for historic designation. <laughs> national trust for historic that what's the word, Beth, I'm losing my mind. Preser preservation. preservation. Thank you. <laughs> so for example, in St. Augustine, there is a district that's uh, the entire district is listed with the national trust as a historic district, but the city guidelines don't have it listed. And then there's a section in the same city in St. Augustine that's listed with the city as a historic district that has very special guidelines that's not by the National Trust. So you really have to find out within your jurisdiction if, if you're concerned about restrictions. Yeah, I, I guess just to pick another market, you know, I, I worked historic homes back in the day in Coral Gables, which was an area here in South Florida that has... Had a lot, still continues to have a lot of homes built in the 1920s, and the city of Coral Gables uh, had a very progressive historic preservation head of historic preservation, and she her name was Ellen Naguccioni. For anybody that might be familiar with the area, she went along and ended up working for the National Historic Trust, but she was very involved in this idea of preserving architecture in particular. And she created a cottage district of historic homes in a part of North Coral Gables. And so those homes qualified for certain 
benefits. And we'll talk about that a little bit later about like why you may or may not want to consider your home historic, but qualified for certain tax incentives and things like that because it was in a historic district. So you didn't have to go through the process of saying, I want to make my house a historic landmark, which was the other way that you could go. So as long as you were in this overlay district, everything in that area was considered historic. Additionally, if you wanted a special certain designation for your property in particular, you could apply apply for that through the National Registry. And this does vary from place to place and market to market. Are there any others? I mean, we talked about St. Augustine. We talked about Coral Gables. Any other areas, Janie, in Florida in particular, because that's a market where we're both familiar with, that, that, that are hubs of historic homes? Yeah, so the Tampa area in Ybor City in that area has a lot of historic homes. Jacksonville, surprisingly, has a huge number of historic homes. It has one of the highest numbers, um, which I was very surprised about. And then um, is it Winter Park in Orlando has yes. quite a few. And then up here in the northern part of Florida, there's not so much a district like St. Augustine has or Jacksonville, or um, but there's a lot of uh, lovely historic homes dotted along the whole northern area of Florida all the way, you know, to Tallahassee and across, but individual homes, not districts or clusters. Yeah. What's the town? And it's between um, Gainesville and uh, Tallahassee. Is it Micanopy or McIntosh? I can't remember. Micanopy. Yeah. Micanopy. Yeah. And the entire town is, is really as it was back at the, in the late 1920s, got the train depot. It's a beautiful place. So, you know, historic districts can be found in the most unsuspecting places, even where you may not think that there are historic homes. So I'm sure that there's something or some way to specialize this in almost every market that at least I can think of. What about historic properties interested you in the first place, Jenny? Um, You know, I grew up in Virginia, so I grew up right outside Old Town Alexandria. Um, I studied uh, colonial business, uh, coastal colonial business in college. So I've always just had this fascination. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to go back. What is coastal colonial business? Okay, so think about it. it it's act, The study was actually Atlantic business, his, it, the history of Atlantic business. So the coastal towns um, that are very old are like um, Charleston, um, Savannah, um Alexandria. So I studied, it's a very particular type of study. I studied business, Atlantic business. So the business of the coastal um, historic cities back to um, places on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, whether it be Europe or Africa. That was my thing. It, that's very specific. Very specific. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. So, so, so how that led you into historic property? So, um, you've always yeah. had an interest in in history. So, I guess that's a good place to start. Yep. And then I worked in D.C. You know, I'm from the D.C. area. I worked for a very high end commercial property developer, but he didn't develop new properties. He renovated and it's restored. Um, gorgeous historic properties in downtown DC. And I worked in the construction side of things. So renovated the old post office pavilion in DC, um, the old Willard hotel, like really beautiful structures. That was right out of college. 
And I've just always been fascinated with old buildings, um, both homes and commercial buildings. So you came to Florida. I know you did a lot of commercial contracting work before getting into real estate. How did you decide to carry that over into, I mean, like I noticed your logo is that kind of old colonial pineapple. So you really had this love of historical properties really since you got in the residential part of the business. So how did that translate when you, when you came to Florida? Yeah. So um, I moved to Florida in 1999, uh, moved there from Germany and my then husband, my German husband, we walked into a 1920s DeGarmo house in Coral Gables. And Beth, you'll know that because you're a um, historic aficionado of Coral Gables. And he fell in love. And that was it. He had to have that house. I think it was the third house we looked at. And then the whole thing just started because I was living in that area, historic Coral Gables. Um, once I got into real estate, I got into real estate on the flipping side before I got into the sales side. Um, and that was just already by then, that was kind of what I knew from construction standpoint, from passion, um, from where I was living. And it just kind of started from there. Cool. So, so now like just for, for the benefit of everybody, please guys jump in, raise your hand. Let me pull you up to the stage. Feel free to jump in and ask questions at, at any time. Happy to hear your input and 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 let you have good questions for Janie. But Janie, when it gets to, you know, okay, you're in an area wherever you are, there is a, an area of historic homes, or you want to get into this part of the business or use this as a specialty. How do you approach getting these listings? I mean, what what what's a marketing approach? What's the methodology? What do you do differently or maybe even not so differently from approaching like just a general uh, canvassing of a farm area or prospecting, what have you done a little bit differently to attract these listings? Yeah, so that's a great question, Beth. And I'll tell you, it is way easier than being a general real estate agent um, for many different reasons. Because like you said at the beginning of the, the room, not so many people are specializing this, but it's a passion that historic property owners are passionate about their historic properties. They very likely renovated them highly. They very likely are totally into all the aspects of historic home ownership. And they are going to both seek out historic home specialists and they're going to appreciate and value a historic home specialist over someone who mostly sells or knows um, new construction. Um, it's a whole different thing, just like... Um, when I do equestrian, I'm trying to get away from my dog. When I do equestrian, um, you know, people are really around that. So you can write blog posts where SEO pulls people to you. If you start to have um, open houses and things like that in historic homes, you're going to meet other um, historic home lovers. Of course, it's amazing, great fodder for social media, for Instagram, things like that. Going to, for sure, in your community, there's probably a historic preservation um, council or organization. Um, you can do that. I've gone to so many different historic um, home and property kind of workshops and things like that. So networking. But really, once you start getting into it, it just it, the, it just feeds itself far easier than regular construction because um, regular real estate, because in regular real estate, you're competing against 
several hundred, maybe several thousand other agents. Whereas when you're specialized in historic, you might not be competing against anybody. Or if you are, you're probably only competing against a handful of people. It's also very easy to create a mailing list because all you have to do is go in the tax records and search by um, year built. And so you're going to be able to create a very, very specialized targeted mailing list where you can be mailing them um, postcards or content that's very specific to their property needs. You can be creating a buyer's guide very specific to a buyer buying historic property. What do they need to do and create a lead magnet for that on your website? You can be going after expireds. This is what I do, where every morning I'm going after um, properties that are historic and expired. Um, so there's lots and lots of ways that can supercharge your, your business um, to become the industry expert in your area for historic properties. Great. Thank you, Janie. Um, uh, it, I, I want to make, make sure I say this right. Sharu, Sharu has joined us on stage. Raise his hand. Sharu, do you have a question for Janie? Hey, Beth. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm in California. I work with Adam Cummins Group. And uh, yes, um, I don't have a question, but I do agree with uh, Janie's last statement in regards to having to deal with the uh, you know, some an agent who is uh, expert in their field. But having said that, I am I am actually representing a historic property in Italy, in uh, Florence, and uh, I'm not uh, someone who specialized in historic homes. But I do work in the company, our brokerage. We have um, we have uh, have a client base. Those who actually. Um, billionaires uh, to start with so I think it has really helped us to uh, secure the listing and uh, it's a house of uh, Niccolo Machiavelli um, so I guess Jenny will know a lot about this um, Yes, I mean, thank you for sharing. Yes, I think a, a property in Italy, well, uh, let's start with I think all of Italy has uh, nothing but historic properties. It's amazing to be have the opportunity to market something and, and Machiavellian on top of it. It's, um, you know, what a phenomenal approach to really get into all the things that are wonderful about being in historic properties. I think primarily one of the things that drew me to it is this sense of architecture, right? Is the architecture is unique, it's definable, and back to the marketing approach, it's very easy to come up with content, you know, in this day and age where we're trying to always think of content for email campaigns and for social media and distribution. The idea of content for me, historic homes is so chock full of content. You can talk about the architecture, where the architecture came from, the architects, why they're famous, the landscape architects. When you get into marketing these properties, which we'll talk about just about in just a couple of minutes, a little bit more in detail. It really is understanding all the mechanics, not necessarily from a construction standpoint, although that's certainly part of it, but what makes these homes special, what makes them worth maybe more money than properties that aren't historic, and using all that content that you collect and that knowledge that you accumulate as you go about marketing, um, learning these properties, marketing these properties, going to seminars, meeting with people, connecting with them, you actually start to 
create your own content and be able to share that with people that have the same love of, the, of these properties is how I always found it, right? You found somebody that lived in one of these old homes and like a listing appointment that might've taken, you know, 35 minutes, 45 minutes before it turns into an all night affair because you just get so taken away talking about their, the pictures of their before and after what they, what they renovated, where they got the, the, the bathtub with salvage yards they went to, to be able to keep things historically accurate. It, it is, it is a passion, Janie. Thanks for sharing that. And I guess that gets to who buys these properties, Janie, you know, have you seen any kind of buyers? Like if you're looking to start and you're a buyer's agent, where's a good place to start with trying to find buyers that are interested in these properties? Mm, I don't think that there's a, a special demographic that buys these. At least I haven't found that. Um, but it is all, all, almost always that people are passionate about the historic properties. So the place to find them is... Like I said, if you have a blog, I would be writing all kind of buyer-specific content about historic homes in your areas because people are going to be Googling those questions. Um, and then I would be having potentially buyers, um, you know, either virtual or in person, um, kind of buyer workshops about, hey, are you a, a, a buyer for historic homes? Let me tell you all the things. Because it's there's a lot of different things to know when you're buying a historic home versus a, you know, new construction or, or more modern home. Um, holding open houses, if you can find people willing to let you, even if you don't have the inventory, if you can find people willing to let you um, hold their, op their listings open. If you're lucky enough to have a cluster, it's kind of hard to do, um, and Beth, I think you'll agree, it's, it's kind of hard to do zip code specific buyer targeting because even in a zip code that's very high in historic homes it's still not a large percentage of that zip code even in coral gables which is highly historic or even in saint augustine so i wouldn't do that i would be more getting involved in the things i'm involved in the springfield um, preservation and revitalization council i've been in i was involved with the dade uh, trust when i was down there um got involved in the state level historic preservation and, and the national. So I would be doing that and I would be doing like a ton of content on social media and other um, social media like Instagram and Facebook and using the right hashtags and also getting in front of, there's a lot of social media accounts um, centered around historic homes. So I would make sure I was showing up there because again, it's a passion thing. So these buyers are looking at those social media accounts. They're following those social media accounts. You can also, um, I'm looking to see if there's any Florida people on here. Yes. So um, there's a couple websites specific to historic homes. You can advertise on those websites. Circle Old Houses is one. Um, there's a preservation one. Um, there's one, I think it's called Old Houses if, or Antique Houses. That's one. So that's another thing you can do. But I think just getting out there and going where those people hang out and spend time is. The I paused because his squeak toy was getting loud. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I guess you know, that gets into my next question. And just for the, see, we've got some new people in the room. 
We're sharing the ins and outs of selling historic homes with Janie Coffey. She's giving some of her uh, hints and tips about how she's gone about accumulating this specialty, listing these houses, who the buyers are. And I guess, Janie, you know, you started to touch on marketing, you know, methodology, methodology, distribution. So you are, have been selling and it's a hot market, but when you sell these historic homes, you have a very specific way of positioning the listing, how you put it out, how you share things, where you put it. Can you kind of walk us through what that looks like? And again, anybody in the audience that wants to come up stage has a story to tell or a question to ask, just raise your hand. Yeah. So there's a lot of things we do um, for our historic properties. One We've developed a really good relationship with um, PR, press, journalists, things like that, both locally and nationally, because a lot of times our homes are historic and they have a real story. So as soon as we know we have a listing coming, but before it's listed, we try to shop. Sorry, sorry. We try to shop it out there to see if we can pick up any press that we've been able to get in Forbes. We've been able to get in Wall Street Journal. We've been able to get local news oh my gosh i'm so sorry i can't go outside because i lose my wi-fi um so building that relationship with good press is extremely helpful because once you start to get good press and you can show future listing prospects that you get you know good press and show them all the examples of course you can never promise that because that kind of press you can't purchase but people really see you truly are the person who can expose their property to the highest audience. Then we always put our properties on circle old houses, old homes, and we really boost that with all their different things. We work with, um, for the lovable houses or for the lovable homes on um, Facebook. They do an amazing job, um, especially we partner with them when we want to do virtual um, tours because they'll do a watch party on Facebook, which will get 10, 20, 30,000 um, viewers when we partner with them. And then, like I said, there's a bunch of other outlets. Preservation Directory is one. Antique Homes is one. And we put it all there because people who love historic properties are looking in all these different outlets. We also make sure to get down to the, the local archivist or whomever does the the archiving and the history of your area and try to do the research on the previous homeowners and include all of that in our marketing materials because people love people who love historic homes want to know all that history and so we also try to do that we do a, a really nice little book about the house and people love that we always make a copy for the sellers as well because the sellers were normally very passionate about the house um and then, of course, great, you know, the normal stuff, great photography, great videography, um, but really getting um, connected with those specialty media outlets, both print and digital is super, super important and PR as much as you can. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the other the other thing you touched on, you, and you said shared so many great things. So I, I hope everybody's taking notes because there, there's a lot of great content and, and gifts that you shared there about outlets. But this idea with historic homes, I mean, one of the loves, of course, is architecture. Second thing is this historical aspect, the storytelling, right? Every home has a story, who lived there, who built it, who, you know, what the story of the of the of the houses as it's evolved over the last hundred years. I mean, it makes if if you get creative with the copy and you have beautiful photography, it does make for a very different brochure, right? Because you've got more of a book telling the story with the beautiful pictures, the story of the house when it was added onto the architect, what their story is. So it's just a very um, personal. And, um, if you love a good story, it's a great way to sell a house. I'm going to welcome Nanette. Nanette, you're here. Welcome to the stage. You have a question or something to contribute? Well, a lot of the stuff I was going to talk about and sort of contribute Janie, like literally just like mute out and gorgeous full color. Um, because I, you know, when I've sold historic homes, I, yeah, I, you know, getting the story is just probably my favorite part and getting you know, a press press about it and going to the historic, you know, um, center and getting the history of it. And, um, you know, and, and yes, and crafting really, I've done really weird, um, verbiage on a house. Like once I did it, like it was a dating, um, profile. Um, <laughs> because, I love like, that. Yeah. Well, I wanted it to be like, you know, like, don't go changing me. Or like if you love me for who I, I, that was my attempt at trying not to get anyone to knock it down, you know? Um, and, uh, and, you know, one thing that's a big struggle in Austin, where I, I live and work, is we don't have really fantastic preservation uh, designations and areas. And it's really, really hard to get, like, we I'm part of this group called, uh, uh, you know, a nonprofit called Preservation Austin. And, um, you know, we fight pretty hard to get, um, to preserve houses that are on the docket to get, <clears throat> to get knocked down for developers. And, we, uh, you know, fight really hard to get certain neighborhoods designated. And I'm always jealous when I go to other cities and I'm just like, see this whole giant neighborhood of just lovely homes and, you know, with a little sign that says historic area. Um, yeah, when Austin has such great historic areas too. I mean, that's surprising, but but it's a real fear, right? That part of our history is all is going to get plowed down. That these mm -hmm. early history of how these towns and cities were all founded and started, that's where historic preservation comes comes, you know, it, it literally got its roots isn't just trying to protect these houses literally from the wrecking ball. So yeah. it, it sounds like we need to do a little bit more activism in Austin to make sure we save these historic homes. Yeah, we really do. It's I, and, I, and I've tried and, um, and being on the Preservation Austin board, I'm not on the board anymore, but, um, you know, that was that was insightful and helpful. And, you know, um, but I'm learning all the time. Like I was going to ask, I guess, is there if there's any good classes our our our, our um, board of realtors here did a historic marketing class but i i, I just want to know more about little things like hinges and windows and you know just if there's like a national place to learn this stuff jamie do you have any resources to share no there's no national place right now at least for, for real estate professionals um i've talked to beth several times i said we really need to create a, a national um, real estate designation because it doesn't exist right now. I think Minnesota State has one, um, but that's going to be more around the background and the understanding. If you're really more interested in um, 
kind of the hardware or that the mechanical aspects of historic homes, I think what I would do is find if there's a specific like Facebook group. So for example, a lot of the homes that I sell are Victorian, which probably don't exist in Austin. I'm not sure. But so I belong to several Victorian um, Facebook groups that are very, very active and they're sharing a lot and they're, you know, they're fines and asking for tips. So if there's a Facebook group or other organization, even a national organization around the era or the style of homes in Austin, that's what I would get involved in. Or I would go find a contractor who specializes in that and, you know, see if you can work out a, a deal with them for them to give you some knowledge, maybe in exchange for you, you know, sharing their information when you sell a home that needs some work. I'll, I'll, I'll share just in that where I got a lot of my, you know, particular knowledge, plumbing fixtures, hinges, lock sets, just kind of of the day and time was watching the PBS series, This Old House, and Bob Vila still keeps a website. I mean, it's a phenomenal resource. I mean, you talk about going down a rabbit hole. He, you know, he really got super specific about, like, when you said hinges, that's really what clicked off in my mind. Like, I can remember working with somebody who was trying to redo the doors, and they were able to locate all the physical doors and the handles, but they didn't know what hinges to use. And so with that, I went to this old house, found the right one, and they actually would connect you with suppliers. So it was a great resource. Anybody else have anything else to share? Well, I was just going to comment. Like, that's amazing. And um, we do have some Victorians here, and we have Victorians in some of the neighboring towns. But, yeah, I had a client that redid a historic home. I mean, a Victorian home, and she sent every single piece of hardware from that house to some place in San Francisco to get completely refurbished and cleaned and fixed. And I was just, the detail was incredible. But I, um, but I love that idea of a designation, Janie and Beth. I think that would be awesome, and I would be 100% for it. Maybe so, when we retire. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, well we'll, well, we'll get the time, but it is worthwhile, and there is so much to learn, and I think it's a fun part of the business. I'm going to welcome Joy. She's on the stage. Um, Joy is a top-producing agent on the San Diego market, and, and she is like the queen of the blogosphere, digital marketing. She's got so many expertise, so much expertise in this business, and so I'm happy to have her join us. Hey, Joy. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Great, great. We're glad you're here. So, Edward, you had a question. I see we brought you up to the stage. How are you and what's your what's your question? Hey, Beth, how are you? Thanks for letting me jump in here. So I do agree 100 million percent on the national designation. That would be a great project if you ladies have time for it. We definitely need that. Uh, just going back to the historic homes for one second, is there anything throughout the process that might be a snag that someone would not expect? Like what might, what might be the one or two pitfalls you might come across out of the blue? Yeah, so there's quite a few. Um, <laughs> there's a lot. And that's why it's very, very, very important that both sellers and buyers work with somebody who's very skilled and knowledgeable about the types of properties that they're interested in. So, for example, one of the, the easiest things to know about but a lot of people don't think about is the age of the wiring, the age of the plumbing. A lot of times we um, have knob and two wiring that still exists. I was in a house today that had knob and two wiring 
or cast iron plumbing. And these can basically make a home uninsurable. And if the buyer and seller aren't aware of that, it can be a very nasty surprise. In addition, um, it's normally a lot more expensive to insure a historic home of the same value as a non-historic home because they insure it for replacement value. And a lot of times your insurance is gonna be a lot more. And so for a buyer that could um, really mess up their ratios for purchasing. So just knowing the things to look out for as far as construction um, and, you know, roof, mechanical, electrical, uh, plumbing and things like that. And then just preparing the buyers from the very start, you need to plan ahead and work with a, a mortgage um, broker who it's, um, a premium than normal because you're going to end up, and there's also very, very few insurance companies that histor um, insure historic properties. So the the mechanics of the house and the insurance are two of the biggest ones. And then I'll give you a third one. These homes were built prior to pressure-treated wood. So if you're in an area that is susceptible to termites or other wood-destroying um, bugs like carpenter ants, but termites is the big one, um, these houses are much more susceptible to termites. Um, the, the saying we have is it's not if you have termites, it's when you're going to get termites. So kind of being prepared for that, whether you're selling or buying and setting the expectations up front with your buyers and your sellers about what that means. Because um, a lot of times people um, hear termites and they freak out. Whereas if you're used to buying homes in our area, you know that's just part of what you have to deal with and you don't freak out. So there's a lot, a lot of elements around historic homes that you may or may not. I think, um, Edward, for me, one of the biggest obstacles was when you are in a place that is, if you, especially if you have a home that's been designated, right, it's on the National Historic Register, or you're in a historic overlay district, depending on the local um, rules around renovating historic properties, right? A lot of people come in and in older houses, you'll find things like the closets are small. The plumbing may not be up to date. Um, in Florida in particular, the windows aren't impact resistant. And so you might want to change the windows. But anytime you're going to change something in a historic home, there are additional, I guess, restrictions and, uh, and permitting that has to occur because you are, quote unquote, renovating or doing some sort of repair to a historic landmark. And so if I lost deals back in the day because of that i think that was it because people would come in they'd love the house but they'd want to renovate it or they'd need to add on or they'd want to do something um even simple like changing the windows and found out in the due diligence process that they weren't able to accomplish what they wanted to do to be able to make the house what they needed for it to be yeah, the window thing is huge for sure. Like the district I live in, you can't. My windows are still the wavy glass from when glass was pulled <laughs> by humans to make glass. And you can't change the windows. So if somebody is coming here and wanting to buy, but they want their home to be very nicely insulated to, like you can see the um, sunshine through my floorboards. Um, because that's how my house is built. There's no insulation in the wall. So 
my house in the winter does not get above the 50s. There's nothing I can do to, to do that. Um, and that is something I've completely bought into when I bought my house. I knew I was getting into that. But if people come along and they're, they see it and they think it's so charming and so cute and it looks like a movie, but then they want to put, you know, know, uh, impact windows or thermal windows and insulation and things like that, there, there's a very high chance you're going to be in a district or a, a house that's not going to allow that. So again, having that information, that conversation before you even start looking is going to be very, very useful. Um, Victor, um, welcome to the stage. I'm going to check in with you, Nancy. Do you have a, a question for Janie about historic houses? Uh, yes, Janie. Hi, Janie. Hi, Beth. Thank you. Um, Hi, Victor. How are you? Hi, so I do have a question. First of all, it's a great topic, and thank you, because this is a topic here in South Florida that uh, is very interesting, where we have, especially in the Gables, we have a mix of old Spanish, but we also have, you know, Art Deco mid-century down here in South Florida. Now, does the home have to be designated as an historic home or just a home that is built within a certain type of year? And also, what is the difference between an historic home and maybe a home that's protected by an architect's style, as in the case of maybe like Alfred Browning Parker, where those that type of home is protected and can't be really changed or knocked down or anything like that? Is that considered historic also? Yeah, so um, there's, there's different kind of layers of designation. Um, just being an older home, you know, 50 years or older, it's historic, but it, it, it might not have any protection. Um, and then it would just be on the will and good faith that any future buyer is going to take care of it and not botch it all up. Um, then there's the levels, like you said, the uh, of being individually registered or in a registered district. Um, and I didn't know that the Af- Alfred Browning Parker homes are protected. So that's something really cool because they're kind of dotted all over the place. Um, so I didn't know that they're protected unless they're in a historic uh, district, unless they're individually um registered so you guys might be able to add insight to me on yeah that. i i, I know that there was there's hard. a house in uh in on granada that's on a it was on a three acre lot and they couldn't sell it because you couldn't knock the house down and they ended up subdividing the lot and building a new house and i think that um when i spoke to an architect ralph portuondo who actually he is that's his certification is historic homes he was like you can only touch certain part of the house but you can't touch other parts of the house because they have to stay exactly the same way. So yeah. that was an issue trying to sell that property first. So I don't think I don't think the property has sold yet. Um, and, and that and that does happen, you know, especially in areas where the uh, municipal entity where the property is located has become very aggressive about preserving homes. And I guess we skip this part, and I'll just go back that. From that area and Nanette and, and, and maybe somebody else can comment, at least in the areas where I've sold historic homes, there were financial incentives to preserve these homes. So when they presented that historic overlay section that I talked about earlier, it was Cottage District. And these were smaller 
typically three bedroom, one bath homes that were built in the 1920s. And they were, you know, they're modest, right? But because they were in an area where the property values were appreciating, what people were wanting to do is like Victor said, they were wanting to come in and tear them down and build a much bigger house in its place. But they wanted to preserve this cottage district. So the city enacted this overlay district for the cottages and said, as long as you preserve the cottage, and here's all the different things that you can do to preserve the cottage, as long as you preserve the cottage architecture and the cottage itself, we will freeze your tax assessment for the next 15 years. In addition to if you want to go that next step and apply for the historic designation nationally, you'll get further tax incentives. So in many places, the city will not just, it, so many people look at this like it's a penalty. Like I can't sell my house because it's old and it's historic and nobody wants it the way it is. But really most of the progressive cities, counties, whatever have stepped forward and given financial tax incentives to be able to motivate people to protect and preserve this part of their history. So Victor, in the case of the architect, that was actually the county. Miami-Dade County did that, recognized Alfred Browning Parker as a quote-unquote historic um, architect, and any home built by him had to go through the process of being approved, whatever you were going to do, through the Historic Preservation Board of Miami-Dade County. And so it just says that there's an additional layer of approval that is, well, like you mentioned, some of the more... Um, mid-century, I mean, even Frank Lloyd Wright type of properties, right, where it, you could see his influence, which is certainly Alfred Browning Parker. There's no insulation in the ceiling. It's very hard. Some of the ceilings are low. Like I think of Snapper Creek Lakes and a lot of those, they are historic architects that built in there, but it may not be um, by today's standard. You may not really want you know, lower ceilings and not a lot of windows or whatever the situation is, no no ability to insulate. Janie says she lives within Jacksonville, but I don't know that people are thrilled about having no insulation in the summer in South Florida. So there are some limitations, but the boards really work with you to try and make it livable while preserving primarily at least the exterior of the house. I'm going to welcome Simon. Simon, did you have a question? Hey guys, thanks for having me up here. It's uh, pretty late in the UK here, so I'm going to be hit hitting the sack shortly. But uh, just really wanted to introduce myself. I'm, I'm not going to pitch because my bio kind of tells you what I do, but uh, really wanted to come from contribution and just uh, give a little idea that I've seen here in the UK. Uh, but before I go on to that, um, we, we have a similar setup here where buildings are listed. We have about half, half a, um, I think it's about half a million buildings are listed in the UK and they're split into grade one and grade two. Um, grade one is pretty rare. It's like Buckingham Palace. I think only about two and a half percent of the half a million buildings are grade one. So they're buildings of exceptional interest, such as Buckingham Palace, Tower Bridge, etc. Um, so yeah, but one of the ideas that I wanted to share with you guys, um, and I've seen a lot of agents do this here, is um, the older the person, the better photos they have of his historic buildings. So if you know, um, you know, older people or, you know, if you've got grandmas or granddads or, and they, they attend these groups, speak to them about what really old photos they've got and put them on social media because 
these these photos get so much interest and you're going to do two things you, you you're putting you're giving a little bit back to the community and sharing something that might not have been seen in your area but at the same time you're becoming sort of top of mind for people that you know people are considering selling as well so i've seen people do that but as i say if you buy them off the the sites or you you advertise on social media saying has anyone got any old photos you'll get the same old photos so dig deep speak to the older people in the community get those photos out and share them that's that was just a little tip that i wanted to uh, just just give you guys Thank you, Simon. That's amazing. Um, I'll also say that, again, if you're in an area that has a historic society, a museum, a department, a lot of times they have become the repository for a lot of the old photos. And so just as just a tip for a closing gift, whenever anybody bought one of these historic houses, I would go down and find the original 19. They were most of the photos were taken in the early 1930s when the property tax assessor went around for the first time. So I gave them a framed picture of the house as it was originally built and um, so that they could keep it on their wall and use it to just hang it up there. And people really loved that. We have another person in our market that actually does a beautiful watercolor of every house that she sells, just kind of, again, adding to that beauty, the photo and the timelessness of these properties. So photos, old photographs are an important part. Thank you so much for sharing that, Simon. Um, Nicholas, what about you? Welcome to the stage. Hey, how are you guys? Uh, I'm a real estate agent over in uh, Nassau County, New York. But I had a question because you said something interesting in regards to the insurance, not insuring knob and tube in a property sometimes? Yeah, it's at least here in Florida, it's very hard to get insurance with knob and tube. And so that's something we always look for in inspections. And you'll normally be asked to replace that if it's found in your house. Wow. Okay. Because it's funny because I, so I renovate houses over in Long Island and I just renovated one over and um, with knob and tube, it was the oldest house I've done. And it was built in 1904. So that the whole house was pretty much still running on knob and tube. And I had to change out all the electrical, but the insurance company didn't give me any problem with it. So I was curious to know whether if it was just a Florida thing or is that a common theme all around? I don't know. Nanette, is it something you can speak to about Austin? I know in Florida it's bad, but insurance is an issue here overall and you know trying to pass a four-point inspection really typically rules out any older house that hasn't had at least the mechanical systems renovated so you know the 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 roof you know the old roofs don't have the tie downs necessary for hurricane protection they don't do the knob and tube or actually any kind of fuse box. Everything has to be on breakers and has to be rewired. They won't um, ensure the old, uh, it's not the, they will ensure the copper plumbing, but when they replaced it with metal plumbing, they asked that to be replaced. So a lot of uh, houses that are in their original condition will require a cash buyer, somebody who's willing to forego insurance until they get the renovation done. Yeah, it's a challenge. Now, do you have a lot of historical districts there or no? Miami 
There is a, there is a, the county of Miami-Dade has a historic preservation department and will in, individually certify certain houses because of the architect or because of the mm-hmm. year it was built or maybe the construction. And the city of Coral Gables that has a large number of uh, 1920s properties, it was developed largely in the 1920s. So there's a significant number of 1920s properties. They have the, more of the districts and probably um, Coral Gables and Miami Shores, another older area, um, are much more historic historically minded so it depends where you are but yeah there's quite there's quite a bit and and again it seems funny because miami isn't that old especially for anybody that's here from the northeast it's like okay well what you you guys have been around for five minutes and you're start already starting to try to preserve things but we do have some unique architecture uh, Miami Beach as well, right? They've got a very active historic preservation, trying to preserve those 1920s uh, vintage houses that were that were built when Miami was founded. So there is quite a bit of it, and like I said, we we fight. We are at odds with you know not only developers that want to redevelop, tear down, and redevelop something, but also with things like insurance. Uh, uh, flood insurance, all kinds of different things. We have challenges on top of that that aren't necessarily congruent with this move to preserve historic houses. Nanette, yeah. what about in Austin? Can you speak to Austin? Uh, about the knob, about the electrical? Yeah. Um, yeah, you and know, insurance. I haven't come across it because everything, every house I've sold has, has had updated electrical. We just, we do kind of know the inspectors that are familiar with a lot of the other you know, with a lot of parts of the old houses. And we also actually, I was going to bring this up, like, you know, I kind of, a lot of us realtors here know a couple of the appraisers too that are really, you know, like if we want to get it appraised ahead of time, some appraisers that understand historical properties because that's sometimes an issue when people don't see the value in it when it compares to other houses that are newer and flashier. So we try to, you know, really nail it down. Yeah, totally. Um, Joy, anything in San Diego you can share? Did we lose Joy along the way? I I, I guess we did. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Well, 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 Nicholas, welcome and thank you for asking. That was a great uh, a great question. And I know there are a lot of older houses up in the Long Island area. Yeah. Um, do you just renovate them or you, do you sell them as well? No, I do both. This was actually one of the first historical houses. I mean, you I heard you say something about historicals, anything 50 years or older, but like we have a lot of houses that are, I don't even consider those historical. Right. We mostly consider anything like around a hundred years or older historical, just because there's so many houses in New York and Queens and Long Island that are all built pre sixties. Pre sixties, pre seventies construction, right? So, but yeah, I mean, we I think about that now too. I mean, I talk about the the stuff in the twenties, and you know, that's you know, it, it's hard for me to believe, but those are a hundred years old now. So yeah. <laughs> they it, it didn't it didn't seem that those that old when we were starting, and they probably weren't. But yeah, uh, that's why I said at the top of the at the top of the hour, we talked about, you know, anything older than 50 years old. So now all of this 50s, 60s and 70s houses could technically be considered historic, which is interesting because like you, I never would have thought that 
that that they were. So um, thank you again for sharing and welcome everybody. Um, we're up to our last five minutes here in talking about uh, the ins and outs of selling historic homes with Janie Coffey. We've got some other experts on the stage with us. And um, I guess, Janie, I'll just kind of ask you one last question and remind anybody else in the audience that wants to come to the stage and ask a question to raise their hand, we're happy to have you and welcome. Do take a minute to uh Follow everybody on the stage and thank you for their and thank them for their contribution. Any resources, final resources you want to share, Janie? Um, well, one thing I want to say real fast before I forget it: if you have people who have commercial properties, it has to be income earning commercial properties, so um, commercial buildings, multifamily. There are some very significant income tax credits programs with the historic, um, the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Um, so just file that away for future use because it's very significant. Um, but yeah, resources, I would definitely just, there's a ton of great Facebook groups, Instagram accounts that are all around historic homes, um, your national groups, your state groups, even the national groups. Um, and like you said, the, sorry, the Bob um, Vila and the, the different YouTube channels for for education and just connecting with other historic home lovers and aficionados, getting involved, spending a lot of time in those houses. Um, that's where you get a lot of it, going through inspections or going to open houses and just really delving in. And then, um, like we said at the beginning, creating a lot of great content, whether it's blog content or video content or photo content. Um, it, it just keeps snowballing. And hi, Mercedes. Yeah, hi, Mercedes. Welcome to Clubhouse. We're glad you're here. Anybody else have any questions for Janie? I'll, I'll leave the room open for a little while if anybody wants to hang around and ask some questions. But um, as I mentioned at the top, we are recording this for From the Ground Up podcast. And so I'm going to ask our producer, Sohail, to go ahead and cut the recording now. This episode of From the Ground Up was sponsored by Feather the Nest the crowdfunding source for all of your real estate needs. Why register for silverware when you can start your way to owning or renting your own home? Please sign up for your nest at www.featherthenest.com. A special thanks to my extraordinary producer, Sohail Fazluddin, who has made this podcast possible.